The Sports Gambling Podcast Network is presented by MyBookie.ag. MyBookie.ag is the official online sports book of the Sports Gambling Podcast, the Sports Gambling Podcast Network, and the Inside Vegas Podcast. Props, parlays, in-game wagering, MyBookie.ag has it all. And if you sign up using the promo code SGP50, you'll receive a 50% deposit bonus today. Play, win, and get paid at mybookie.ag. We're also brought to you by Amazon. You know you're already shopping at Amazon. Shop at Amazon and support the Sports Gaming Podcast Network and this fine podcast. All you got to do, log on to sportsgamingpodcast.com slash Amazon, bookmark that link, and use it every time you shop at Amazon to support the podcast. And again, go get yourself a nice, fresh Inside Vegas tea on sale for $19.99. We are back with another episode of Inside Vegas, and the dog days of summer are here. NBA to the back of the line, no basketball, football a little ways out. The dog days of baseball are here, and there is nobody I'd rather talk to about them than Nick Pollock. Nick Pollock is the founder of PitcherList. You can check them out on Twitter at PitcherList, PitcherList.com, as well as the many, many different podcasts that they do in the space. Um, an awesome conversation. Basically, we, we kind of go over the thought process between incorporating visual aids when it comes to betting on or against pitchers, what that means for the DFS community and everything that they are trying to build at PitcherList.com, which frankly is one of my favorite baseball communities out there. Their newsletter, I could not, um, if you bet baseball, could not tell you to sign up for it enough. It's pretty much the first thing I start my day with when it comes out there, seeing their pitcher list rankings, um, as well as their gift database that basically breaks down every single throw um, via strikeout, via what is going on with different pitchers to kind of see and put the visual aspect to the sabermetric numbers um, as well. It's really a full-blown handicapping analysis, a little over an hour conversation. Um, as you know, I could talk, sit here and talk baseball all day. So cannot thank Nick Pollock enough for taking the time uh, to sit here and talk with me again about everything Pitcher List has going on, his kind of entrepreneurship and his style of you know running this website, the people he's brought on board, and just his passion for baseball is something that I really feel is unrivaled in this space right now. Again, check him out. This is Nick Pollock of PitcherList.com. Joining me on the Inside Vegas podcast, one of the most kind of innovative uh, is, is really the word that comes to mind when I talk about this new company called Pitcher List. And if you're a day in, day out sports better like I am when it comes to Major League Baseball, their newsletter is probably the first thing I start my day with when it comes to who's going in either fantasy, who's going, um, who maybe the markets are undervaluing. Um, and that is Pitcher List. You can check them out, pitcherlist.com, at Pitcher List. They also have the first pitch podcast, which is about 15 minutes every single morning going over the slate for Major League Baseball. So excited to have Nick Pollock on to talk about this in, in many different ways. How is everything in your world, my friend? What is happening? Everything is great because Zach Gallen had a wonderful start tonight and it was super fun to watch. As we were saying off air, yep, I took that brutal push on the first five plus one. I think I got plus 140. Wong doubled to crush my hopes and dreams mm. all of a sudden. Um, but yeah, man, let's kind of, you know, start from the beginning because I think it's an absolutely amazing story of kind of what happened, you know, how this company came to be and the content that you're putting out there that to me is at the top of the game. And it really almost became that way from its inception and from the start. You know, what was kind of your vision and kind of, you know, basically start to finish kind of where, you know, to where you're at now is to kind of how Pitcher List came to be. Well, first of all, those are some really kind words. Thank you so much for that. I, 
Yeah, it just started in, in my bedroom. I wanted a gift database to showcase pictures of the majors. I just felt there should be a place that we can go and visualize a picture instead of just having stats and tables and paragraphs to understand a player. We should be able to actually see his changeup and his curveball and his fastball. And then we get this extra level of understanding of everybody because I love baseball. I was a pitcher before and I knew that people didn't really understand the uh, the little things going on during every single at bat. They're just waiting for the home runs or the, the singles or the walk or whatever. But there are all these little intricacies between every single pitch. I wanted to, to showcase that as much as I could. So I started with a gift database and then I realized, oh yeah, I should probably write something consistently instead of just having a database up. So then I started writing the SP Roundup, which is something I've actually done every single day of the baseball season since 2015. And that's going over every start from the previous night's game. So all 30 pitchers just talking about how I feel about them, what it means moving forward, how they performed in that game, combining context and results. Uh, it's a very important thing at the site where we don't just go box score hunting. We talk about how they got those results. And we believe strongly that the uh, the bridge between the sabermetrics people and the old, old school thought is that middle ground of understanding, yes, how they got those results, how they were throwing their fastballs going in and out, up and down, or was it just over the middle of the plate that day? How were they incorporating their breaking balls? That's just as important as the actual bottom line as well. Um, so that was really the thought process I had while doing those initial articles. And then over time, it just kind of evolved. Uh, we went from pitcher gifts to pitcher list, actually, when MLB shut me down in 2014, oh, if you can believe it. That'll happen. <laughs> and then I came back as pitcher list, created the, the top 100 starting pitchers every single Monday. That's why it's pitcher list. And from there, just slow and steadily, I just kept writing more and more about pitching. And it really blew me away that I would just get emails every so often. Uh, my my man, Alex Fast, sent me a random email in 2016 sending that he just wanted in, wanted to be involved. Same thing with Ben Palmer, one of our managers as well there uh, at the site in 2016, just said, hey, what would you do? I just want in. And it surprised me. And then the end of 2017 came around. We had about 10, 15 people or so. And I put out one classified on Reddit saying, hey, uh, we need a couple people to help out with our gift database. And I got 70 applications. And what I saw with them that blew my mind was that all these people were just as passionate as I was who had these smart thoughts but didn't have a great place to put them and to have a good platform yeah, to the showcase platform, them. Yeah. And at first, I thought I could only afford a couple of people. I pay everybody. I don't take anything because this is just my passion project. I just want this thing to grow as much as I can. And I thought to myself, you know what? Whatever. I'm just going to add everybody that I think is qualified, that I think deserves to be here. And I added, I think in that offseason, 35 people uh, to the wow. team. And we just decided to say, you know what? Screw it. We're just going to make the best website we can. Uh, and I'll figure a way to fund this or whatever. We'll just make it work. And we kept that mentality going. And it's it's been fascinating to watch it grow because we found so many talented people uh, on our site now that it's it, it spread out so much. I mean, I I'm just a pitching guy. I, I can talk about hitting. I don't care as much as I do about hitting as yeah. I do pitching. It's just so much more fun to dissect a pitcher. So I delegate everything hitting to the rest of the staff. And to see where it's it's come from, just you know, really my basic article or Nasty's pitches article and the database and a couple others. To I mean, we're putting out 15 pieces of content every single day, from podcasts to uh, to our going deep pieces, which are these massive analytic dives on certain players, to really fun things like our anti list. 
uh, which is our entertainment section, which is amazing. I think one of my favorite articles we've done for that, Dave, Dave Fisher put one out that said, what if the Tigers actually replaced Jacoby Jones with a real tiger? <laughs> and he wrote like 1500 words on this and it's amazing. Uh, and it's stuff like that. We just love baseball so much here that you know, it's just bringing in people that share that same passion uh, and then know how to write. It's, it's incredible how you know, expansive the internet is that we can find so many talented people. And it's just this wonderful mixing pot of all these uh, these people from different walks of life, but we all share this one commonality. Uh, and it's incredible where it is right now. It still blows my mind um, that you know we have this Twitter following. We actually have a social media team that we have uh, who are killing it, by the way. Eli and Jessica, yes, you guys I are amazing. Can contest and will confirm one of probably one of my favorite follows on Twitter with the gifts, with everything that's going on there, how the overlays, everything that you guys do on that social media team. I want to give them props as well. Yeah, they're they're killing it. I mean, our graphics department, Justin Paradis and, and Nathan Mills, the, the 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 graphics we have for articles, it's it's just every step of the way. I just keep getting blown away by the talent of the staff. And it again, it just comes back to we just love baseball. And it's important for me uh, to to accomplish two things with the culture of the site. One, obviously, to have a platform where we can all just continuously uh, you know, inspire each other. I, we use Discord to communicate. I cannot recommend it enough. It just keeps the conversation flowing often. Uh, we have our community as well that, that they support us on Patreon. You get to hang out with us. And at first, I didn't know if anyone would do it uh, because, I mean, I felt so egotistical to even suggest that people would pay for that. And then all of a sudden, I mean, we have 200 plus people supporting us on that which is wild to me and it's crazy and it's created this really tight baseball community where it's just endless discussion. I mean, today we were all watching the Zach Allen start and, and talking about it live instead of that discord. Uh, but, but the, the main things about the pitchless culture is first we got to have that kind of, communication just needs to be excellent and that passion that I'm talking about. But also it's so important for me to, to break the stereotype of sports fans. And what I mean by that is that there are so many negative stereotypes of us, you know, creating these angry debates where someone needs to be right, someone needs to be wrong. And we have to, you know, we have these massive talking heads just yelling at each other, getting to a point. And I hate that. I feel like it's not conducive to, to proper conversation. Right. So it's so important as a staff that we all work together and yes, we're going to have different opinions and that's fine. But if we can do this on our own as a staff to to talk about these topics and leave with smiles on our faces and feeling like you know we just had a really fun discussion then that will carry over into our articles where we're not making wild claims or something we're actually doing good objective writing of articulating our thoughts without saying this is how i feel if you don't feel this way you're wrong uh, and it's it's really awesome to just have that staff that is on the same page with you. So it, it's it's one of those things that I can't really give you a strong answer as to how we are where we are right now because I don't believe that all these people exist. <laughs> uh, but but there they are. I mean, it, it's crazy. We have uh, about 80 staff members right now, um, and that number is just going to grow uh, as we continue to expand our fantasy football side of the site which isn't even included in that 80 right now. Yep. Um, we already have another 20 there and it's growing right now as we're in another hiring spree. Um, and we're just really looking forward to it. I mean, there are all these things we want to do because, you know, I'm a CEO who doesn't take a salary. So uh, well, all this money that we raise, we're just putting it back in the site to just create what we want to be the greatest baseball website out there. 
Man, you are on your way. Let me say that first and foremost. There's so much stuff that <laughs> you ju- you. <laughs> you just broke into that I'm, I'm going to pick your brain a little bit because yeah, sure. uh, it's an incredible story. And uh, to shift this away again, everyone knows this is a gambling podcast. You guys focus on fantasy. We're going to dive into all of that, I promise. But w- what you were just talking about, don't, not taking a salary, putting everything back into the, into the business. The entrepreneurship conversation is one that I am fascinated with. It's one that mm-hmm. um, I, I absolutely love. And I want to talk to you a little bit about that because you know I think that by your, you know, by the, your initial answer, to that question it's um you know it it bears mentioning you know how just how much you know people don't i think that in a lot of ways there is a you know the end result is usually what do i get out of this what you know how can i monetize this and this and that and again we had not really talked much prior uh to this conversation so i think i I really want to talk to you about that because it's you know not taking a salary for a you know a flourishing website is maybe kind of foreign in people's minds you're putting out amazing content literally around the clock every 40, you know, 40 seconds, I can look on your Twitter feed and there's a new (laughs) GIF and there's, you know, something else that is out there. Um, you know, what kind of led you to that decision? Is it kind of just, you know, the long game and, you know, again, not that money is anything, but the money versus legacy, uh, conversation is always fascinating to me and kind of, you know, where that goes and everything. Well, it's, I guess I want to say it's the long game in the sense that, uh, I firmly believe that, we with the path that we're going with the site, if we continue doing what we do, it can't be a situation we can do everything that we want to do. Um, and that I, I don't I don't want to be the guy that just has a lot of money and everything is to is that we do is for money that doesn't it just doesn't produce what you want. And what I ultimately want is the greatest baseball website out there. For me, ah, that shit. would just make me happy. Uh, it's what I want to exist is the greatest baseball website out there. Yep. So, so with that in mind, and I will say this, I I have to preface this by saying that I'm in a comfortable situation where I do have a, uh, I do have another job that does pay a a decent thing that I get to work from home doing and I'm able to manage during the day. So it's not that I am not ultra reliant on this, you know, making ends meet, uh, which is something, I mean, I'm not, I don't have debt over my head, nothing like that. I'm very fortunate in that fashion. So I, I don't know if I, I I can imagine people in this situation that would have to take some some, some sort of salary. And that makes perfect sense. Of course, you're spending so much time on it. It's, uh, you know, you don't, shouldn't have to feel bad or guilty for doing that. Uh, but for me, I mean, this has never been for a quick buck. And yep. when I initially did it, it's because I had free time and I wanted to do something that I cared about. And you should never lose sight of that, I feel. Because the second that I start thinking about this for the money, then my intentions change my, uh, goes from passion work. to a job. Right. Exactly. Right. Yep. So the, as long as I keep it, I mean, obviously at some point I imagine I'm going to have to, uh, have some sort of return on it, but it's, it, I don't care on it. I mean, essentially if I'm ever going to do that, it needs to be 100% at no change to the site. Right. Um, it, it's, and it, it's crazy to me that I'm in a position at the moment that I can think to myself, oh, we have these extra resources. What is it that you want to do? I mean, there are so many ideas that we have, but we can explore all of it. We can actually have those conversations. We can go talking to other companies to figure out, is this going to work? Can we create the thing that we want to do? Uh, and it's it's mind boggling to me. And that innately just gives me joy. And the idea that I would the site away from what it can be for my own monetary gain in the short term just doesn't that doesn't sit right with me. Uh, so whenever it becomes later on, um, what we have right now, this idea of bringing in people that 
are talented but don't have that platform, that will never change. It's so important to me to be able to do that and also pay people, not do it based on views or anything like that. You are paid per article. That's that. We trust everyone that we bring in to be able to put out content that is worthy of the site. And whatever that is, awesome. We're not going to then look at the number of views you got. Like, oh, I'm sorry, this only got right. 1,200 views and the other one got 3,500. We're going to pay that guy more. I don't care about that. I just want good content. I trust my staff to put out content and that's all that matters there. So I think with that philosophy, uh, it just will continually produce better and better content. We'll just continue to to grow as an entire team. And if you go at it from that perspective, instead of with the money involved, then you'll eventually get whatever you want, I feel, through it. So just let that happen in the future. Just keep pushing. Have this fun of it being still a hobby for me. Man, incredible stuff from an entrepreneurial perspective, from a business <laughs> perspective. Let's break into the sports perspective. You know, as a, you know, I, I kind of want you to at least start with this, you know, what is kind of the mission of PitcherList? And you, again, I know you're not kind of deep into the gambling world. I know you're not, you know, this is kind of for gamblers. It's for the fantasy guys, whether that be DFS, season long, everything like that. Um, when you talked about the community, you know, watching Zach Allen start tonight, you know, for me, that was near and dear to my heart. Again, because the prospect market is, we're going to talk about that for sure, you know, a little bit later on talking about, you know, mm -hmm. how that market changes and, and how it's very different than the everyday, you know, f every fifth day you see Scherzer as a minus 250 favorite and he's the highest priced pitcher on DraftKings and, and the prospect market is really where you can kind of break that mold. But I want to start with this as well as kind of the mission statement of PitcherList as you see it, the community aspect. Because in a lot of ways, when you talk about this kind of, you know, hashtag gambling Twitter, you want to talk about social media, everything is kind of how can I utilize this to help me monetize? How can I utilize um, a you know, lineup provider in DFS to make money? How can I utilize a you know sports gambling person to make money? All this type of stuff. When you talk about that community, I think that is so important. And I would you know almost kind of ask you, I don't want to say what do they get out of it because that's the wrong terminology. But is you know have you noticed that they're you know people using your site just for enjoyment? Is it mostly season long fantasy? Is it DFS? Is it gambling? Or is it a little bit of everything in between? Or is it just the pure joy of watching pitchers pitch, which I can certainly understand. <laughs> yeah, no, you hit the nail on the, on the nail on the head there. It, it it is a variety. So we do we do offer a lot of stuff for just baseball fans. We have that gift database. You can go and see every pitcher there. You have the nastiest pitches where you can just see the nastiest pitches every single night. And those that that do support, uh, there are some that just do a little bit. Uh, we we have a Patreon, and they just say, "Hey, I just really love what you're doing. I love uh, just the spirit of the site." Here you go. I uh, love the podcast, all that kind of stuff. It's really nice seeing those comments and those reviews and everything for that. And of course, we do have the Discord community. Uh, there, it's it's funny. I've gotten reviews from people there. Some are there because they want direct access to the staff for fantasy purposes. Uh, some are there because they just want to hang out with us and, and have a, a fun community to talk about baseball. Uh, for me, the importance of that community is honestly, I mean, I created the site initially, too, because my friends were sick of me talking about baseball and pitching. And that no, you know, no one really cared as much as I did. <laughs> right. They just like, like, come on, man, we got to, can we not talk about fantasy baseball for a second? Nobody cares about Daniel and Ponce just, de Leon when you live in Boston, you want to talk about a, a what 20th ranked prospect in the St. Louis Cardinals organization. I get that for you know, sure. You know, if Ponce de Leon actually developed consistency with that changeup, I would get really on board. Oh, Unfortunately, on. he's just going high fast. 1.2 career ERA as a starter. Stop it. 
So what? So what? It was like four starts. Yeah, it's it's pretty like, low. Three <laughs> Alex Reyes is like one point two, <laughs> but that's my man crush. So we'll get into that later. <laughs> oh man, uh, I I really hope I can get on Ponce de Leon uh, or get on that train. I mean, I do like the start of high fastballs, but it's about the secondary stuff working down the zone consistently, and that's just not happening at the moment. I mean, he did well against the Marlins. All right. Anyway, we're gonna uh, get so there. I we're gonna get there. I promise. The I mean. <laughs> I made it really a, a major factor for me uh, early on. Every single time a comment was on the site, I had to answer it. The, the The fact that someone took time out of their day to to ask me and actually want my opinion on something, that's valuable. And that's that's something that I, I still kind of marvel at, that people actually want to know what I think about this stuff. Uh, and another fact of it is that I, I would not be here if it weren't for Reddit. Uh, I was a Redditor for ages. I still am, of course, but I started back, I think, 2009, maybe 2010. Uh, and uh, when I I just put it up on our baseball. Uh, and I think I had 40,000 hits in the first 24 hours. Um, and then that Friday showed up to our fantasy baseball, just said I was an expert. Just say, hey, guys, I'm an expert. Ask me anything. Whatever. This isn't going to work. And they listened and they believed me. And I've actually been doing that Friday AMA every single Day during the season, I think it's from February, the start of February to the end of September. I do that Friday AMA uh, since 2014. So without that community and and seeing people actually, you know, give you something, I mean, I, to me, that's them spending their time for you. Uh, it's so important, and it, it it validates in a way what I'm doing. Just because, I mean, if people didn't care, if people didn't actually spend their for me, then I, how can I not spend my time for them? Uh, so it's, it, I have everything to thank for Reddit. Um, they, I love them. I know that they're just as passionate as I am, even with all the people that I got upset when I say a guy's going to do well and he doesn't, um, I, I, I hurt more than you do. Trust me, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, community is everything. It really is. You yes. have to, you have to bond with them. You have to be, you also have to make your intentions clear. Uh, it's so easy on the internet for you, to, you know, people to say things and that tone can be mistranslated. Make sure that tone is understood. I know how passionate I am and how I care so much about pitchers. I need to make sure that's very transparent uh, because th- it's very easy to to take things out of context or to take a tone the wrong way. And the more that you can express that, the easier it is to uh, to, you know, to give everyone the benefit of the doubt on the internet, as you should. Uh, it's, it's a very important lesson I learned along the way. I want to talk about them because that to me, again, this kind of, we're going to take a step back and go towards the entrepreneurial mindset mindset, and, and everything that encompasses that. Because when somebody, you know, it goes back to admiration, respect, whatever word that you want to quantify it with. It's a very surreal, per, you know, feeling to um, have your opinion valued. And, you know, when people pay for your opinion, it's even a next level type of thing. And I know, again, you're in a little bit of a different situation where you're, you're, you know, kind of playing the long game, this and that, the type of stuff. I I completely get that. And that's the other kind of side of the, you know, I want to say psychological stuff that I've been exploring a lot lately when it comes to the sports gambling side. Um, But it's, it's just always fascinating to me, you know, what, what that feels like and kind of almost the, um, you know, people out there have really seen that I've been on kind of the, when it's done the right way, everything can be a win-win when it comes to selling picks and whatever 
whatever it is that you're into, I think it's a very surreal, you know, kind of feeling to be, you know, have your opinion valued, have people pay for your opinion, all that type of stuff. But when you talk about that community, that to me is kind of the key. Everyone wants to be, you know, again, gambling psychologically is everyone wants to be a part of the tribe. They want a group text. And when you can build that community for people, I think it's probably the most important aspect of it. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it's, it's still dry. I, I cannot believe the kind of support that we have at this point. Um, and I, I just want to say it's the, the term long game, the idea that this is a game. Yeah. That's all, but I, I probably worded that wrong. I, right. I no, 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 you don't. I'm not asking you to, I just, it's, it's, it's more of just, um, it's more it's of just your decision back to even yeah. consider that. Well, no, right, right. I, I guess what I'm getting at is I'm just I'm blown away that there is even a game to reach, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, this is still such a baby for me. This is such a ridiculously fun thing that I get to do. And the idea that there is something that, you know, can be bigger than anything I ever imagined down the road um, is just a wild idea to me. Uh, and having that again, having that mentality of being like, yeah, this is this is a hobby. This is something I just want like. I feel like it's a nonprofit almost. <laughs> I don't want to actually, I don't, I don't want to, you know, I, I make less significant actual nonprofits by saying that, but uh, that's just how I feel about it. This is my hobby. This is what I just, I love so much and making it, you know, really caring so much about that is really what matters. Um, yes, there are all these things we want to do and that's awesome. And whatever that comes to be, that comes to be. Yep. I don't get too warped in the idea of whatever that could be and what it means for you uh, on the financial, monetary side, whatever. It's but, the value conversation, yeah, though, right? If if somebody's if you walk up yeah, to somebody sure. and hand them you know a hundred dollar well, bill okay, and say, yeah. "Can you just give me twenty you know back or nothing back?" If you have that mindset through you know a company, through a website, through a business, you're always going to be successful when you always give more than you take. And I think that that's the perfect illustration of it. You know. Yeah, that's yeah. I 100% agree with that. Let's flip this, man. Let we're we're gonna get off the entrepreneurial chain. We're gonna talk pitching because I am someone like you. Uh, this is probably my most passionate kind of thing when it comes to baseball. And for anyone that knows me, um, you know my kind of overarching philosophy when it comes to betting baseball is I only bet first fives. Why? Because I eliminate bullpens and I bet on pitchers and I either bet on them and I bet against them and I do it every single start this season. And I think you're the perfect person to kind of talk shop with this when it. Comes comes to that. So let's talk about the pitching market. Um, in general, um, again, I, I know you're not really immersed in that gambling culture, in the DFS culture. This is kind of a tool for those that are, but of course you are aware of them and everything like that. So how can pitcher list, you know, kind of in your estimation, either help a DFS player, a season long player, or a sports gambler kind of, you know, use it as a tool in their tool belt to help them make bets the same way that I use you guys every single day. Again, start my day when that, um, have you on notifications on my, um, email for when that newsletter comes in and I see the, you know, highest ranked pitchers, worst ranked pitchers, all that type of stuff. It's invaluable to me in my sports betting and something I hold in kind of the highest regard in my handicapping, but kind of, you know, how can you not say how can you, but how can the site kind of help everybody, you know, regardless of what niche market they are in, um, and everything like that. Nice. Awesome. Uh, first of all, I love that you have that. Uh, there are yeah, a couple things. Uh, one, obviously I do a ranking every single day of the pictures of that day and of tomorrow. Um, it's a fun article because I know I have known this for years, kind of internal. I'm like, Oh yeah, I like this guy over that, but I never actually articulated it. So I sit down and I actually look at all the matchups 
and I rank them every single day. Um, so that innately is something that's helpful. But I think the by far for anyone that does betting or, or fantasy baseball or even just wants to understand baseball better, uh, it's so important to understand the repertoire of every pitcher involved and what that means. And what I mean by that necessarily is, OK, Griffin Canning. He has a high fastball that he can throw in 93, 94, and that's his approach. He likes to go high fa- forcing fastballs and then has these two breaking balls, this really nice slider and curveball that he goes underneath. That is a really good blueprint for success. He also has a change if he mixes in there for cheap outs every so often. Yep. But that kind of approach does dictate high strikeout potential. Yes, it does also mean he's going to allow a decent amount of home runs. Home run per nine is up. Uh, it's around like 1.6 for him. But if he goes against a good or a, a bad home run hitting team, say like the, uh, oh, who is he going against this weekend? Oh, I knew this and I completely forgot. Uh, I think it's the Tigers. Ronto? Maybe not. No. no. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, Canning uh, and, it's Canning and Boyd, right? Cardinals. No, I think it's Canning and Boyd upcoming this week. Yeah. Tomorrow, actually. That, sound, that sounds wonderful. That sounds great. No, no, no. Yeah. That's, um, okay. Tigers 29th. It's uh, yeah. Canning and Walker. Oh, it, was, it was. Okay, good. Okay. They're a bottom third of home runs hit this year. The Cardinals. Uh, so I can think, Oh, okay. They're not going to, they might not hit that home run. And that means he'll get the strokes and he'll benefit me. Uh, so understanding the actual repertoire and what that floor and ceiling means based on that and not necessarily the numbers of it. Cause there are certain guys that maybe they'll have a 20% strikeout rate, but actually they're volatile with it. Some days they get two K's like look at, Peeny, two strikeouts last two games, but he's had two double digit 10 strikeout games as well. And you understand, oh, right, he does good to the, that high. He's developing that changeup from last year and he has that curveball that goes down, but sometimes that command falters and that's not all there for that game. So understanding the volatility of that, what they can actually present from that repertoire, that's something we go over a lot. I do my SP roundups, I talk about what the pitcher is doing and what that does entail moving forward. But in the future, this is something we actually we have two stats at pitcher list that I really do think do apply to DFS and something we want to push more in the future. And we have BPR and C- CSW. Are you familiar with either of those? Yes, yeah, CSW. Uh, it's uh, called uh, called uh, called strike rate, right? Basically, it's yeah, called strikes plus whiffs. Yeah. Uh, I, I was noticing last year with Baseball Savant's game feed that I would always look up guys and see what kind of whiffs he got on pitches and stuff and i realized that, oh if i combine these into like 30 in a given day that generally means he has a good start and then uh, i kept bringing this up inside of uh inside of the roundup and stuff and then eventually fast was like dude we need to do like an article on it please they go oh yeah and I did all the research for me he wrote that amazing article yeah <laughs> i mean like, yes, you guys literally invented the new i want to do any of that <laughs> you guys literally invented the the yeah. newest sabermetric uh stat it's incredible it's, uh, I mean, I love that you are calling it that. That's awesome. Uh, we, we love it. We think it's something that's really just a, a really strong correlation for future success and kind of indicates what the pitcher is actually doing and capable of regardless of the actual results. The more times that he can get called strikes and whiffs inside of a bat, the more success he'll generally have. So we think that we can actually track this based on a team that they're facing. Like, let's say this team is generally more prone to a higher or lower CSW rate. Uh, and then what kind of pitchers did this? face so should they have they induced the right csw or not and then on top of that there's also vpr uh which is volatility performance ratio it's something i came up with like four years ago and i've been i've never really taken the time to create the database of it 
Uh, but it's the idea that there are pitchers that are sometimes really good and really bad. So your cherry bomb, as we would call it. Some guys are super sweet or blow up in your face. Yep. Uh, where they allow like six earned runs and zero earned runs, right? Yes. So let's say six earned six innings each game. Julio and then Tehran comes another to Another guy who goes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Nick Pavetta. Yep. Uh, and then there's someone else who goes three earned runs every game at six innings. These guys have identical ERAs. But it's really valuable to know that there's one guy that is super volatile, six and zero, six and zero. Chad Bettis or was the king of this last need. year. Yeah, right, exactly. Uh, or you have a guy that's super boring every time that does a quality start at three and runs every single time, right? Each one of those has its own value to it. Uh, so I do believe that we should be tracking this more on a consistent basis. And of course, just like I was mentioning with CSW, we can say, oh, this team induces this. VPR consistently and then match that with the pitchers that they face. Are they inducing a better or worse VPR, et cetera? Uh, if you combine those two things, I've been talking about it with a couple of guys already. We think we can create a really good DFS stat with that um, just from these two proprietary stats that we've come up with at Pitcher List. Um, so that's that's what we're going for with DFS. We think there are these little elements uh, that treat consistency differently than a lot of other places do. I mean, we, we try and group large samples like two weeks or a month in a row or maybe full season but instead if we just look at the 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 smallest level that we can every single time i think we can get a better interpretation of what the pitcher is actually doing and capable of so so when it comes to dfs and stuff those are the things that we're working on to to make that as easy as possible for you one of the biggest reasons that I'm such a fan of this site is because I have this conversation all the time when it comes to myself as a sports better, uh, other people that I know, and, and whatever the you know the differences in people's handicapping. It's you know let's say it for what it is. The big thing in sports betting right now is the analytical community, especially in baseball. It's the um, you know sabermetric community. It's betting on regression or you know, either positive or negative. And this is where I, I've always said I very much differ from most professionals. I will, you know, if a guy like, you know, Mike Miner has all the regression stats in the world, but you know, for me, I'm going to bet on a guy four times. And, and when that regression hits the fifth time, I'll take the, you know, four wins prior to, you know, take that one loss where most professionals are the opposite. They're going to bet uh, against him. You know, Robbie Ray was the absolute king of this a couple of years ago. And, you know, Pavetta, um, right. as you mentioned, uh, Eflin is out there. You know, all these guys that have these kind of regression indi indicators. And I know that you do take the sabermetrics very much into um, consideration. I mean, we can go down the line here again, reading just off your timeline, Lance Lynn, you know, the biggest difference is basically an ERA versus FIP, which is a sabermetric stat, uh, you know, Lance Lynn, Zach Wheeler, Musgrove, Snell, Syndergaard, and on and on and on. I, you know, the reason that I really love this site and what you guys are doing is you blend the two perfectly because it's not just what the numbers say, close your eyes, shut off, bet the numbers. It's also, here is what is physically happening. Here's what's happening to the ball at the release point. Here is the arm angle and you know, everything that goes into that. Do you kind of, did you, you know, start out in the Sabre community? Did you go more for the human element um, or, or anything like that? And again, not, not trying to ask your complete process or anything like that, but I think it's just a fascinating conversation when you know, people kind of blend the two together. No, that, that's great. First of all, we have a term for this. It's called the Vargas rule. After yes. Jason Vargas in 2017 went on that ridiculous run in the first half. Yeah. And then essentially you, and it's stupid. You do not expect this to last, but you're just going to keep rolling him out there until he hits the wall. And then when he hits the wall, you're like, all right, we're done here. Uh, he's doing a Vargas rule. Brandon, right now, uh, Brandon Woodruff too. this year and Dakota Hudson come to mind. Yep. 
Mm, interesting. I uh, I believe in Woodruff though. That's the thing. Woodruff, I kind of like. Look I at his run support. Uh, Dakota Hudson definitely. His run support is the king for me. Like I don't get me wrong. I don't think Woodruff is anything special. Mm. But when you have a team scoring six to ten runs per start for you, and again, that's just something that right. will happen. You know, you can go down the line of guys who either get run support randomly. Dakota Hudson is another one, and guys who just don't randomly. Uh, Soroka, Degrom last year, mm. and on and on down the line. Right. Yeah. What was he like? Eight and one or something else on some point. Brandon Woodruff, something crazy like yeah. that. I. Uh, but I. <laughs> I, uh, so, so you're talking about the, the mold between, you know, real life context and results again, uh, and like sabermetrics not being blind to that. I mean, I was a pitcher in college. I was someone I remember playing in my fantasy baseball leagues that my friends were talking about fan graphs and stuff back in like 2008. And I was Tell like, me oh, right now, on. did you look up your own sabermetrics? Is that good? You know, what's that? Tell me right now. Did you look up your own sabermetrics or have you like tried to you know, go back and graph what Why? your sabermetrics <laughs> were in college? That's what I would have done. I, I, I know some. I, I mean, you can, I guess if you want, you can look up my Brandeis judges photo. It's a terrible photo of me. Uh, I had, I think, a 4.3 ERA in my junior year, which was the best on the team. Uh, it was two runs. I think I, it was I essentially added two runs in my ERA in the last week. And I hated that so much. Uh, but I, I was a super extreme ground ball guy. My favorite metrics would have been bad. <laughs> uh, I was, I think I was a. Five, I was a five to one ground ball to fly ball pitcher. I threw two seamers inside, taking advantage of college kids that didn't want to break their bats, and I broke a lot of their bats. I love that. I, uh, but uh, I was, I was a, a shutdown guy. They got a guy in first base with one out. You bring in Nick Pollock, you get the double play. We're done. <laughs> we're out of here. Um, but I, but, yes. So I haven't really looked back at exactly all the saving, but they must. I would have had like a terrible FIP and Sierra, all that stuff. But uh, but I came from a place being like, no, no, these stats don't really speak the whole thing. He's pitching differently. I came from that angle. And then I had my fan graphs renaissance around like 2011 or so uh, when I started to really understand what all these metrics meant. And there was a moment I swung the other way being in super favor, favorable of it, as we often do. You jump into something new, you become a big fan of that and you, you know, your, your emotions get you at first. Um, but over time, it has been something that, you know, it's, I have to watch everybody. I have to understand what they're doing to get those results. And it, it really does help explain everything about from the strikeout rate to the walk rate. What is their approach? How are they getting these results? How is this, you know, are they doing exactly what they want to do? Is this the most that they can do or not? All of those things are so important to understand. So it's really the melding of the two for me that I that gets where I am. I mean, how I make that list is is completely based on both of those factors. Do you, for your process, um, kind of see to me, especially in the futures market, coming from the you know sports betting background, professional betting, all that type of stuff, to me, the narrative is probably, the preseason narrative or, or whatever it is, is you know probably one of, I'd say it's probably the biggest thing that I, I take into consideration. And what I mean by that, and again, this is not me trying to toot my own horn and tell you how great I am. This is nothing to do with that. I just want to kind of illustrate a couple of points. I'm yeah, going I'm, <laughs> I'm to show you some, some illustrations that point to the narrative of how I was right. And I'm going to show you some of that point to how I was wrong. Everyone has heard the story of me, you know, getting Tyler Glasnow, Cy Young at a hundred to one. I am, you know, putting it on prop swap, had offers for, you know, to win 20,000, had offers of four or 5,000, all that type of stuff. And my narrative was basically, you know, everything that he had going, you know, what, you know, people always wanted to know the why, right? And so 
when you're able to come up with that narrative, I think it's absolutely everything. And while I, you know, it was Glasnow adding the slider, uh, Jose Berrios was somebody that I even felt almost better about than, you know, despite the success of Glasnow because he was working, you know, he worked on his changeup with Johan Santana all off season. And it's that type of narrative stuff. You know, we talk about his home road splits. We can kind of go into that as well. But the narrative is something I think is super important. You know, Glasnow along with Tyone coming from the, you know, Pirates pitching tree that I think is absolutely the most fascinating thing on the planet. Um, and, and, you know, all that type of stuff, adding the slider, allowing, uh, what did I say, allowed three earned runs in um, nine of 11 games, one run or less in five of 11 after going to Tampa and mm-hmm. just got knocked around one time last year post Tampa, which inflated his ERA, much like you were just talking about. So to me, the narrative type of stuff is is so incredible. And I do want to give one to, to not make people think that I sit here and, and just tell myself, Jamison Tyone was somebody that I was very, very high on. The same way I was about Glasnow. It's for all the same reasons, um, you know, but Tyone improved basically every step of the way, um, you know, since his, since being an elite prospect in the 21 starts after incorporating that slider, posted a two, six, three ERA, ninth best ERA in warm on national league, starting pitchers and, and on down through the line. And I was wrong not to mention. I also thought that Zach Wheeler had an outside shot to be an NL Cy Young candidate last year. He posted a better second half ERA than Jacob deGrom, whoever, you know, nobody, nobody talks about the second half that Wheeler had, but everyone talks about deGrom season. So the narrative and the why is so important to me. Do you kind of put the narrative into your stuff at all, kind of while you're doing this in the off season, or is it all just what you see on video and what sabermetrics and numbers tell you? Man, so so much to unpack here. Uh, first of all, uh, me loving Wheeler so much. I even wrote my yes. <laughs> whenever we relaunch the site. Uh, when I say relaunch, we have like our our week of two thousand of the new seasons, you know, preseason content of rankings and stuff. I always do it with a gift breakdown, and I did it on Zach Wheeler's this year. And Zach Wheeler saying like he is legit. Let me show you from the second half last year. And man, I cannot tell you how many people are upset at me. Yeah, Jack <laughs> right Flaherty now. comes to mind too as well on my end. So I understand. Well, that that's interesting. That was a fun one because he can he compares a lot to me like Lance McCullers. Um, He's hanging the curve a, a lot this year, comparison. though. Yeah, same way that McCullers. Uh, Flaherty is also, you know, hanging the curve a lot the same way that McCullers could. Well, right. Well, yeah. So McCullers was really a two pitch pitcher, right? He has an amazing curveball, amazing breaking ball like Jack Flaherty slider, and then his fastball would sometimes be good, sometimes be bad, um, like Jack Flaherty. And then the changeup for McCullers kind of acts as the third option for Flaherty, um, that is goes in and out. And the fact that they both had really low IPSs, they both had high walk rates or so, kind of looked like that. Now, I do think Flaherty can get himself out of just kind of how Lance McCullers could himself when he was pitching. Uh, but he was an, he was an interesting one. Uh, I, yes and no for me. Uh, yes, in the sense of like Tyone adding a new pitch that is effective is a narrative I can get on board with a lot. Um, there are a lot of times that I hear stuff in the off season about guys, you know, the thing you're talking about, Jose Brios working with Santana, I can't get on board with that because I don't know if that pitch is good or not yet. Yep. Okay. I have to see it. I have to actually witness the, the development itself, uh, for me to get on board with a certain narrative. I definitely push narratives on my own saying, look, this guy is now throwing it 
down in the zone consistently. He's changed the approach. This is something definitely we should monitor. Like Trevor Bauer, I was in on him entering the last year in 2018 because the second half of 2017, he changed his cutter to a slider. And I was like, guys, I think this is like he had a successful second half of 2017. I think this is going to carry over because of the new pitch. Worked out in 2018. Then, of course, he had to be the tinkerer and add that change up in the offseason. Why? I don't know. I don't know why he did that. <laughs> and then he went away for a moment using that changeup. Now he's coming back, fewer changeups, has that complete game against the Tigers. So in those senses, yes, I do believe narratives because I believe that pitchers are very much always changing and adapting 100%. But it's yes. only when I see the actual results on the field and that sticks around for more than just one start. I want to like ask you example about here, that. Merrill Kelly. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, well, Go ahead. Uh, yeah, go ahead. All right. Yeah. So the when we talk about the sabermetrics community, both in sports mm-hmm. gambling, both in DFS, whatever market that you're going to utilize these tools like PitcherList for, to me, this is the biggest kind of illustration of how, again, how I differ from most professionals, from most sabermetrics guys, you know, banking on either positive or ne- negative regression. It is this. Let is, let's talk about Lucas Giolito. Every sabermetric out there last year said he was quote unquote unlucky. He, you know, just was just running into, you know, the typical sabermetric problems. He goes in the off season. This is narrative works with Joe Kelly, who Joe Kelly was on the same college uh, baseball team as him. And if you put Giolito and Joe Kelly side by side, it's not a coincidence that after working with their same coach, they now have the same exact delivery and both redefine their careers. Now, look, Joe Kelly wasn't really the 1A prospect. And what I mean by 1A is best pitching prospect in baseball at the time that Giolito was. But that to me is narrative. That is something that you can point to and say, this is why this person is better or they are not. But when it's, you know, a five day, what is the, you know, the, whatever the MLB all-star break is, ends up being, that is not enough time or four days between starts. To me, the breaking point is really has to be the next year. That is where I differ start to start from Sabre guys. That's where I differ everywhere. I need an off season to believe in it. Robbie Ray comes to mind. Giolito, of course, this year. I mean, how you can even talk about Homer Bailey. Um, it's just that, you know, four days isn't enough to fix your Sabre metrics unlucky or, or whatever it is that you want to call it. But when you have an off season, that's where I go the next year to really get ahead of the market of these undervalued guys. That's interesting. So, I mean, you were, you were bringing up Tyone uh, in last year and that really happened. May 27th is when he introduced that slider. Um, so that you know, it, these things can happen through the year through bullpens or just certain changes. I mean, Trevor Bauer had that second half because of that slider game introduced sometime in July. Uh, he's like, you know what? I'm going to try the slider now. See the, how that works, and all of a sudden that can can change. About the the Giolito point, uh, so so Joe Kelly is very good right now. Uh, I mean, obviously he did get hurt as well, but uh, Giolito came out with a new windup with pulling back uh, his with his elbow instead of going the full arm circle. And this is a super long guy. This is like he's like six eight and lanky and everything. And I can totally fathom a guy with a super long arm circle. The timing getting messed up, right? Like it's just so hard to get the entire time of his long arm to go forward and be accurate with it. Well, what he does now is he keeps the ball actually above his waist. So he's not pulling his arm all the way down and making that full circle. He's actually pulling the ball essentially straight back, keeping the ball up and then short arming almost towards home. And that has made him so much more accurate with that four seamer going up in the zone. And we actually used to talk about him. And when he was just starting off with Chicago, that he was, we, we thought he had to pitch backwards. 
because he couldn't put the fastball where he wanted to. And we, we were hoping that the slider or the changeup would be be thrown a lot in early counts. And then that would maybe set up something for like a wild fastball that would work. But now that he has that high fastball consistently, oh, this is kind of great now. His secondary stuff still isn't amazing. And that's why you're going to have starts like we just saw with Giolito where he, yep. he has some really good moments, but the rest of the stuff isn't there. But that is everything, him pulling back with the elbow. Yes, I do believe that was actually from his coach. He's even come out and said that he worked with his coach and his coach is like, oh, do this, try this. And that worked. That's cool. I'm not going to believe it until I see the change in mechanics. And we saw the change in mechanics. I believe it now. Yeah, that's what we have now. That's the that's the you know the way that you're able to blend what you're seeing with what the saber saber metrics kind of tell you. When we dig into this process a little bit more, um, I'm gonna read you an article that is probably one of the most fascinating ones that I have read. Um, when we're talking about kind of the top twelve pitchers, um, you know, according to various different player ratings. I'm going to, this was a little bit old. It's about a month ago, but I'm just going to read it. Um, basically the way that they ranked sure. them, Justin Verlander, Tyler Glasnow, Luis Castillo, Herman, Trevor Bauer, Jose Berrios, Mike Miner, Gonzalez, Zach Rinke, John Gant, only reliever. This is what it was so <laughs> fascinating to me. Only six of the 12 pitchers throw a fastball over 50% of the time for their pitches. With that being said, all but two of them have all but two of the 12 have gotten at least 2.3 or more uh, for the season of their fastballs with three pitchers. Glasnow, Bauer, and Miner were the only three that qualified for that list um, over 5.0 PVAL. And again, it's a sabermetric stat. We don't go into what that means. But basically, I want to ask you about secondary pitches. Do you care about Arsenal if somebody's a two-pitch pitcher, like we talked about before? Um, do you put more stock into what someone's fastball is doing different than their curveball or anything like that. These are great questions, by the way. I love this. I'm so much. Fun. <laughs> I could go all uh, night on it, man. I, <laughs> I share your passion. This is awesome. Okay, so two two pitch pitchers uh, versus three, right, or four, or whatever. Uh, generally, I do put a little bit of weight on that because um, I mean, look, let's look at uh, Giolito even there. It's really one, and then he has a collection of other stuff. Um, the more options that you have that are good, that are, are qualified essentially to, to throw at any point, the better you'll be consistently just because there are days when you just don't have a pitch. It's going to, it happens to everyone. Those days are grinds. The more options that you have in those moments, the better. So Jack Flaherty, when his slider isn't missing bats, there's nothing left. Jose Barrios, great example of this. What made me excited recently is that he started throwing his changeup a lot more and actually was successful at getting strikes. In the, the one zone. he worked on with For Santana, so long, you didn't we've like, seen by Barrios. the way. Well, I mean, it's it's better now. <laughs> it's, it's not like the greatest changeup. No, that but belongs no, to Luis Castillo, and like, you know I'm it. waiting for this. Oh man, it's so good. Actually, so pretty. the the number one swing strike rate pitch in the majors with 250 pitches thrown is Cole Hamels' changeup. Ooh. I remember back when, like eight years ago, 10 years ago, when he was a bonafide ace, that was the changeup that we compared to all changeups. And it's so cool that it's kind of back in that way. I think Pedro's yeah, circle change was kind of always the standard, no? Well, yeah, well, that was 30 years or 20 years ago. Yeah, Santana. Was, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, but I'm thinking of like, you know, 2009, 2010, yep. Cole Hamels has changed up. We're like, oh yeah, that's the one. Was I mean, Pedro was gone by then, right? He must have been. Nine I think so. Ago? Probably. I think it was, that was ago. probably the Santana yeah. era I may be thinking of because it's pretty much the same pitch. Oh yeah, well, Santana. Santana was another, yeah, exactly. His era of changeups, same idea. Uh, oh, that was such a good one. He threw it exactly the same as his first. Sorry. Anyway, uh, <laughs> what I'm getting at is Barrios, when he was a two-pitch pitcher just with that curveball, that's what we had the cherry bomb performances. 
he would have those like four starts of 10 strikeouts and the curve will be gone. All of a sudden it's four straight of four and runs plus because he didn't trust that change. It, but wasn't there. He was like a 2.5 pitch pitcher at that time. But when you have guys like Verlander who have four seamer slider and a curveball and a changeup, and if that slider's not working a certain day, it has been all year, by the way, it's like the best slider by far in the major. Uh, he still has a curveball and changeup that he'll rely on and that will work. And that gives them that definitely gives them more consistency that makes me like them more than your average two pitch guy. So it's not a death sentence. We've seen guys like Patrick Corbin have a lot of success being a two pitch pitcher. If someone says that the curveball is there, it's not. He's just throwing a slower slider. Uh, he's actually said that. Yeah, uh, no, I agree. It's a cool way to get the most out of that pitch. Uh, but actually, what we've seen recently from Corbin is that when one of those pitches doesn't work as well, it falls apart a bit. And that forced. Uh, game stretch that we saw from Corbin lately falls that was apart really bad. quick. Well, Look at his fastball that we normally go in. <laughs> well, right, but it's it's the fastball command goes away, and that's that used to be inside to righties all the time, and all of a sudden it was super far away. Even Elo Jimenez just goes out and pokes a home run with it, and he it, that's a scenario where like, oh yeah, he has nothing else to turn to. It's just a slider. He needs a second pitch that he can get out of there where it doesn't have to keep throwing these bad fastballs. So that's that's always in the back of your mind. It's it's easier for a collapse if you're a two pitch pitcher. If you're three or four, it's a lot harder or a lot, it's a lot safer of a floor for a guy. In terms of again using you know gamblers using this as a tool, um, DFS guys using this as a tool. The biggest probably. Um, it, way that I've been able to quantify this in my process and in my handicapping and I'm largely 99% of my stuff is all first five because it's pitcher versus pitcher but it's the other market it is the strikeout over under market and that is something that you guys do so mm. well in, in illustrating that have you either kind of you know started to dig into that from a you know either content side kind of you know say tailoring but you know making content specific for either you know uh, K props or uh, whatever it is DFS sports gambling stuff like that over unders team totals is is a really good one. I also use it for when it comes to, um, you know, first five team totals while that pitcher is likely to be in there because K props and kind of team total stuff has really been the largest way that I've been able to quantify what you guys do at pitcher list in my handicapping. Yeah, that it's, it's something that we've internally talked about a couple of times. It's been brought up. Okay. Are we ever going to get into start sports betting and see how that works? Uh, it's something that if we are going to do it, we want to make sure we do it right. And um, we have the right people to uh, to present it the right way that they are like, hey, this is what I really want to do here. Um, but I personally, I, I won't get into it myself. It's just not something that I focus on yep. for whatever reason. Uh, so I don't if I'm not like super honed in on it, uh, there's no way I'm putting money on it. Yep. So I don't I don't want to provide information about it necessarily just because I don't feel that I could be as best as I could be at it. Cool. Let's talk about this, man. This is probably going to be my favorite part of this already amazing and informative conversation. Let's talk about the prospect market because to me, I always sure. do so, I don't want to say so much better as if I have an awful first half, but to me, I find the greatest edge in the major league baseball first five market in the second half of the season. And that is very easily to, you know, kind of for me to figure out the why that is because of one overarching theme. And that is prospects coming up. The group of that we've talked about, Sean Manaya, Berrios, Tyone, Glasnow, being ahead of the market in sports betting is everything, especially in the first five market. And when you're talking about prospects coming up that, you know, people like us that sit here and, and watch pitchers all day long in the minors and, and watching Casey, you know, Casey Mays at, at double A that's odds makers aren't doing that. They don't know how to appropriately, you know, kind of 
price those pitchers in their first start. We saw this with Gallon tonight. I, I know I talked about kind of that push, but um, you know him being a plus one sixty against uh, Wainwright was absolutely insane when you just line them up and show the stuff at this point in their you know respective careers. But you talk about you know I'm going to be able to get a little bit ahead of the market on a guy like Forrest Whitley, like um, Azale tonight for Chicago, even though he's kind of backing up Chatwood coming in late. Gallon, Ponce de Leon, Reyes, and again you can have the kind of your specific opinions on specific prospects, but that part of it, of baseball betting, has always been where I've found the greatest edge. How are you able to kind of quantify the unknown of somebody moving up from whatever it is, double A to triple A to the majors in, in kind of that first start? And again, I'm going to always kind of liken this back to how can either DFS players use this to, you know, get better prices? How can gamblers, you know, get ahead of the market? All that type of stuff as well. Yeah, this is really hard. Uh, I actually often tell people like, Hey, what should we make of this guy rest of season when he hasn't even pitched in the majors yet? And I go, I cannot give you an answer that I won't have a completely different one until I see him pitch. Uh, I need to see him pitch. I need to properly watch him for that first start to give a good answer. Now there is still a lot to talk about here. So, uh, when it comes to generally getting an idea of what kind of impact a guy could theoretically make, we don't know uh, theoretically making that first start. At least let's just even talk about that. Cause there are oftentimes that there are times I see a guy coming up. I, I just don't care. <laughs> I see, I see the, the numbers underneath it. Let's say it's a swinging strike rate in the minors His K rate, his walk rate, what the scouting report is on velocity. Those are the four things that I care about for the most. I mean, the fifth one is, does he have a secondary pitch that is plus or plus plus? I, uh, if I don't see, if I'm investing in a prospect that I think might be really good, I need to see at least, at least touching mid nineties. If it's low nineties, it needs to be a plethora of good secondary pitches. If it's low nineties with one secondary pitch, I'm not going after this. There's just not enough there, especially for MLB debuts to me, which you don't, it's so wild. Cause you see a guy like Mitch Keller that has great stuff. He really does. This mm -hmm. is someone that will, if he gets a job in the starting rotation entering 2020, which he should, this could be a very sneaky play in all of drafts. I, I really think that Mitch Keller can excel next year. Uh, if he gets that consistent starting rotation spot, but he was so jittery. I mean, he, he had a terrible first inning. And then all of a sudden, three excellent innings after that when he actually settled down. And we see often when guys settle just for fastballs. If you, if you read the report and know that he pumps a lot of fastballs, they can be taken advantage of very quickly in MLB debuts. I remember distinctly Steven Matz getting to a 3-1 count to Brandon Phillips in his MLB debut. And everyone, everyone knew he was throwing a fastball. How could he not? It's the first batter he's ever faced. 3-1 count. He's throwing a fastball and Brandon Phillips takes it over the fence. You're a sick bird and for remembering that. And I love that about you. <laughs> I mean, I just remember going, oh man, like everyone, like you go throw a fastball here on you. Don't do it. Don't do it. And then he just knocks it out. I'm like, oh God, you know, I mean, there's a, today I broke down a thing of gallon thing. I really loved about him. It was a full count against Goldschmidt when Goldschmidt had launched the 91 mile per hour fastball foul at the one, two pitch. And all he's waiting for is that fastball and three, two after two sliders that he said, no, no out of the zone gallon goes with a change up instead of that fastball. He didn't give in and he executed it. And that's oh, that is everything you want as a pitcher. Uh, I'm reading David Cohen's full count right now. And he talks about, I need to be able to surprise them and have that boldness because then now for the rest of the game, they have no idea what I'm going to throw. And when I see that in debuts, it gets me so excited. So I love that from Zach gallon. 
it's not a typical thing. You need to have the, that plethora of secondary pitches to have that. But if you are saying, okay, is this guy's coming up? Should I bet him or not? The thing I would look for most, does he have a high swing strike rate? Does he have a low walk rate? If it's a high walk rate, that's not going to go away in that first start. If anything, it's going to be amplified because mm-hmm. uh, the jitters, everything going on. If he has a 10% plus walk rate in, in AAA or whatever it is, just don't do that. It, it very rarely works out well from what I understand. Uh, but otherwise, if it has a low walk rate, good swing strike rate, and he has plus velocity, sure, I think you can be all right. I think you can get a sneaky play there. If he has, if he's like low 90s with a lot of good secondary pitches, I think that can work out well just because they won't know what that looks like in that MLB debut. And if he has a low walk rate, then I wouldn't ex- expect him to be super wild. That means he has some sort of ability to be calm for the most part uh, and not be super wild. Last couple of things I want to ask you about when it comes to the process. To me, splits, and what I mean by splits is home and away. To me, place, you know, I place such an emphasis on this, and some people don't. And for somebody that is literally watching every single pitch of guys, I mean, let's really break this down as kind of the the most polarizing, right? I mean, you look at Berrios last year, 3.00 ERA, 9-4 at home, away, 4.85. He's the shining example. Steven Matz, who you brought up, is another example, I believe, a 5-4 ERA, um, on the road and a basically like a one five ERA at home. Shane Bieber is the best bet in baseball on the road, despite losing today. Um, do you see anything from your film perspective from pitches that, you know, it's a weird thing to say, do pitches look different in this ballpark versus this one? In theory, they should always be the same if, if the mechanics and everything are right. But is that anything that you've ever kind of taken a look at and, and really dug into? Well, I don't personally put stock into home and road splits. It's more about, I mean, as you said before, the narrative of what they're doing recently. Uh, I'm looking at Barrios's 2018 right now because you mentioned that he had that massive extreme there. And what I'm seeing is essentially during the bad stretches of not having that curveball, he had some road games that allowed five and runs each. And uh, I, I am it's the same thing this year as well, one, though. I don't, I don't buy into it. I'm sorry. It's, it's one of those things that maybe for the absolute extreme pitchers, I think there was a case of Julio Tehran being like just ridiculous and like fine, but a guy with the talent of Jose Barrios, I, I, I just can't buy into it. I think it's one of those things where his curveball goes in and out and it's not dependent on him being at home or on the road. Will you look at Steven Matz for me this year and tell me? Uh, I mean, sure. 2.25 ERA at home and away 6.21. I think there's nothing that goes out of into what that. sample out of what sample uh, game though? started. Uh, so he has six starts at home and eight on the road. Okay. And essentially is that the, the three bad ones he's had all year have been on the road. That's what um, it is. It's six, five, five. Okay. And two. Yeah, that that's what it is. The L- so you look at everything. it more as, as still, outliers. Yep. He still, he still had a one earned run game on the road. He had an two, uh, he had three, two earned run games on the road. Uh, it, it's not so cut and dry to me. Uh, I think those are just times when, you know, he didn't have it that day and that's how it is. But to just to blindly or not blindly, but to put a lot of weight on that over other, all the other variables going on for me, home road splits, I just can't get on board with it. Yeah, I, I want to play devil's advocate here a little bit. I'm going to state my case, and sure. again, you can tell me I'm absolutely wrong because I really do value this opinion. Let's look at. Let's, <laughs> I'm not. I'm never going to say I, you're absolutely wrong. I get that I'm looking at kind of the the two extreme guys in Berrios and Mats, but you look at you know Mats against you know at Atlanta last time out five innings, five earned runs, and again, I'm not trying to skew things here, but at Arizona six 
innings, uh, five earned runs. LA, he's a lefty. We know that the Dodgers can't hit lefties, so I almost kind of throw that one out. 3.2 innings um, against Miami for two earned runs. It's Miami. Milwaukee, 5.2 for three. Okay. But then you go Philadelphia. He had, what, uh, six earned runs without getting out of the first, and Atlanta, six for two. Um, so to me, I don't know. I think I, I really do quantify it a little bit more when there's the historical data of the last year. Again, Berrios was always this person and he is this person again. And if he ever figures out his road struggles, he's going to win a Cy Young. And one of the reasons that I bet on him this year is because I'm, I'd never forgive myself for being a year late instead of a year early. Um, but I just, I guess, yeah, that's a little bit where we differ when it comes to the narrative type of stuff, different than just the film. So I was curious if you had, you know, kind of taken a look and see our pitches breaking different on the road for these type of extreme guys or, or anything like that. When it comes to that, but if you don't put sock in no, it, you don't put sock in it at all. I, I wouldn't even say that. If you if you want to talk about Matt's game yesterday, he was actually doing really well through five innings, and then it just kind of fell apart in the sixth, uh, where he allowed a two run homer to Donaldson, and then uh, then Riley doubled, and then uh, double after that, and he got pulled from the game, and then yeah, then that was it. So that was almost a two hundred run start on the road, and then he had the last inning, just oh, it just fell apart right in front of him, and that was it. I uh, that's like, that's what we're talking about. Like such a small piece of everything. It all becomes this extrapolated thing to me that that's, yep. that's how I, I take it a lot. And it's not like all of a sudden he's just masterful while at home too. You know, it, it's, I, I, I'm not, I'm not sold about, about these, uh, home road and road splits. I mean, I do, again, I will accept extremes yep. and when it's just like, all right, I, like a Vargas rule kind of yep. way. I, uh, but when it comes to seeing tape and everything like that, it's actually kind of hard to really quantify that too, because you get different camera angles uh, and you can't really compare it the same way just because there isn't a golden standard, which is the stupidest thing ever. And there should be, Hey, you have a home ballpark. Everything is fine. Okay. We just have to have the camera in this exact place everywhere. Cool. Great. Awesome. That would be wonderful. Can we just do that? Cause I got my gifts over here. Okay? <laughs> and, I love that. All right. And that would be fantastic. I don't want to believe that this guy's breaking ball is amazing because Texas Rangers decided, you know what, we're going to put the camera really low so that everything looks like it has sync. Or, you know what, I'm going to put the camera super high, like the Colorado Rockies. So now I can't even see any depth to it. Yeah. It's just, ah. Is there anything you do put, you know, kind of outside <laughs> stock into uh, when it comes to either trends, when it comes to home away splits, or is it all to you just the sabermetric numbers and what you see when a um, a ball leaves a pitcher's hand? Well, I mean, I wouldn't say the sabermetric numbers necessarily. I uh, like, you know, to me when I hear that, I hear like the Sierra and their FIP and their Babip left on base or at home on fly ball rate. A lot of the luck things. I, uh, to me, it's about, well, what are the results of those? I want, I guess I want to see how they're breaking. I want to see what their approach is, but also what's the end result of those sliders that he threw. Did he get a lot of whiffs this day? Did he attack the zone effectively with that fastball? Um, but that's the kind of stuff that I really do buy more into did as this uh, game went on, like Dylan Bundy had this problem of losing his velocity all the time earlier on. And it was just like, oh, man, all right, well, that's something I'm definitely taking into account that he can't actually hold on to that velocity. It's why he burns out in the fifth inning, allowing four home runs out of nowhere. And that, that kind of stuff I put a lot of stock into. It's not just uh, it's not the luck things necessarily, because I think that a lot of people get really worked up into luck numbers and they think uh, oh, by the <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just so distracted right now that. 
Steven Matz had a negative 62.5% left on base rate <laughs> in that start on uh, April 16th. I've never seen that. And the only way that you can have that is to face uh, is to face eight batters and let them score without recording an out. I'm sorry. That, that's just phenomenal. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's yeah, a lot of weird stats like that. Um, but yeah, no, it's just to get back to the point, kind of put a pit on that. It's it, sabermetrics. You people get really warped into, oh, his ex BAPIP was this. So that means that we should be classifying that as that. And that means also that this will carry on moving forward the same way. And that stuff is no, I'm with you on that. Be like, no narrative. I, I think kind of the word that we're using for context, essentially. I uh, is there is something at play for that. I guess that guy was good at that point or he was at that point. That doesn't mean he always is good or he always is bad. I mean, just look at Paul Goldschmidt and Matt Carpenter last year, just doing amazing things in the last four months. You're not the first two. So you know, if we just look at the X stats or all that stuff, the sabermetrics, they wouldn't have, they would have said, yeah, he's going to be the worst hitter in baseball for this year. And that obviously wasn't the case. So those it, it, it's a lot of things. It's a whole mixing pot. There's no just straight formula that I plug in. There's no uh, even it's not always the even mix of this and that creates this. Uh, but it's just kind of understanding everything and kind of just uh, going from there. That's that's pretty much all I can say about my secret sauce. Awesome, man. Well, again, I, I could talk about this all night with you. I don't want to keep you any longer than I already have. <laughs> the last question I have for you is is kind of the the definitive list. And this is kind of, you know, pitcherlist.com has the pitching list. And mm-hmm. so how do you kind of quantify where people end up? And I'm just going to kind of read some, you know, it's broken down into tiers. You know, Scherzer, your number one best pitcher in baseball, Justin, Verla- uh, Justin Verlander, Chris Sale, Garrett Cole, DeGrom, Blake Snell. Tier two starts with Luis Castillo, Grinky. Ryu at number nine is going to, you know, have some people lift their eyes up a little bit right above Bauer, Strasburg, Kershaw, Bueller, Morton, and Clevenger. And we'll kind of end there unless there's anyone specifically that you want to talk about that illustrates this Barrios at 20 sticks out to me a little bit. Um, but you know, kind of what goes into you making your quote unquote pitcher list. Yeah. So uh, it's funny that you say like the Ryu thing, do you think you should be higher or lower? Uh, I'm a guy that no matter what the numbers tell me, when somebody shows me consistent results, um, from a betting background, from a betting perspective, this is what I do every single day. I am going to ride that horse into the ground. And when Ryu is not allowed over two runs in a major league baseball start, congratulations. You are my you know number one cash cow because Tyler glass now was hurt after going nine and oh in the first five. So <laughs> I have a little bit of a skewed view and a little bit of a greedy view, but, um, I'm results based, not what is coming, what could come all that type of stuff. Sure. Okay. So, so you'd you'd want them higher up uh, than nine. I mean, yeah. If we were ranking, game. you know, yeah. who makes the most money That's from fine. a gambling perspective, where my vision is skewed, then yeah. But <laughs> I, I get where the rest comes in. Yeah. No, I'm I'm not saying it's actually a common thing that people say. So, uh, um, it, essentially, what this is, it's if I'm in a twelve-team head-to-head categories league today, and I'm drafting my pitching squad. That's essentially what I say today. I mean, it was on Monday. I updated every Monday. Who would I be drafting? What would be my rankings for that 12 teamer head to head categories league? Um, so you have to keep in mind a lot of factors of that with Ryu. I have to pull him down because he has such an inevitable history of injuries. Yes. And that is going now. to happen. Yeah. yeah, it hurt. Yep. Right. Well, I mean, it's it, never well, pitched Ryu over like gonna, something, some low, crazy low number of innings, I think. For right. Ryu. Ryu is going to wave at a fan and break his wrist. <laughs> like that's just what's going to happen to him. Okay, he's gonna he's gonna blink looking for at the sign. 
have a problem. It's this is just what's going to happen uh, with Ryu. I mean, you don't know when, but that's why. I mean, honestly, based on what he's done, yes, he'd probably be around seven or something like that. Maybe, yeah, seven. The snow actually needs to fall. I think no. Maybe not. We'll see. We'll talk about that later. But how I craft this every week um, is I go through all my roundups of the week. I do a roundup every single day of all the pitching performances. I make notes on that. And then I say, okay, cool. I need to adjust X, Y, and Z just to make sure I don't miss anything. But uh, you just have to keep in mind, this is not results-based. It's rest of season-based. That is obviously based a lot on results. But there are a lot of guys I expected have worse or better results from this. Like, for example, I have Max Freed at 38. His results recently have not dictated 38. It's dictated a lot worse. But I do think that him with his slider and his curveball and fastball dictate a much better performance moving forward. Same with Griffin Canning. He actually has a near four ERA, but he's at 35 because he has a 16% overall swing strike, which is elite. Normally, we get excited around 12% or so. 16 is fantastic. It's, I believe, in the top 10 of all pitchers in the majors. If he were qualified, which he's not. So how I craft this is like there's a point in it even where you get to tier seven or tier eight where it's just all upside plays because the waiver wire in a 12 teamer is barren. It is terrible right now. It's going to get a lot better in the next month as more guys come up and essentially there's more volatility in pitching staffs as guys get dropped and added and et cetera. But right now you're chasing for anything that could be something more because you have nothing to lose. Uh, And that's how this is crafted is with that in mind of what I would be going after in that 12 teamer. And the reason we do that is it's the most common format out there for fantasy. It sets a foundation that we can expand upon and and adapt for all those massive variables you can throw into fantasy league. So, so that's what the list comes from. It's, it's from that perspective of who I'm drafting today, rest of season for those 12 team leagues. I love it, man. Again, I could sit here and talk pitching with you every single minute of the day, but I want to get you (laughs) out of here after we went a little bit long. So I do apologize, but I think that it's just such an amazing conversation to have. And again, passion to me is absolutely everything. And when somebody else has it, I, we can go. So, um, I want to plug you and I want to plug it. I want you to, um, plug everything you have going on in this space. Again, the Twitter profile at pitcher list, one of my favorites on Twitter, pitcherlist.com, the first pitch podcast with Nick and Alex fast. And I do want to plug, uh, his Twitter, at well at Alex Fast Eight because he does amazing content and amazing work. Oh, he's for great. Picture list. Yes. Um, I also want you to plug your Patreon where people can go to support you. Anything I missed or anything else you have going on in the space, my friend? Yeah, definitely. Uh, go to Patreon.com/slash/PitcherList. You should join our Discord. It is the best baseball community on the internet. It's all the time we do live chat. We do our fantasy help, of course. We just talk about baseball. It's just the best place. You should be there. Uh, And you support us. You just support what we're doing. We have so many things we want to do for 2020. I've had conversations this week that I never thought that I would ever have. And as we plan for what I call Pitchos 5.0, that's going to be launching in February. I cannot wait to pull back the current and show you all the stuff we're going to we're going to have for the site. And uh, it's going to be really fun. But this has been super fun. I love talking pitching. 
It's been really good. The questions you've been asking have been awesome. It's exactly the kind of conversations I love having. So thank you so much for having me here. No, man, I appreciate you taking the time. Um, I really cannot thank you enough. I think that everyone that has ever bet a baseball game or ever has played a season long or fantasy really needs to be a subscriber. And again, the newsletter is probably the first thing I look forward to in the morning. So congratulations on all the you know success that you've already had. And I can wish you nothing but continued success in the future as Petrolist expands, man. Thank you so much for taking the time. We'll talk soon. That sounds great. Thanks again, man. Man, I thought I had a passion for baseball and sitting there talking with somebody who I think rivals me and even may take it a little further is such a breath of fresh air when I know a lot of people out there, baseball is a really hard grind and, and you have to be in it for the long haul. And to be able to sit there and talk pitching for that long uh, really warms my heart. But as always, thank you to Nick Pollock of PitcherList.com. And again, we are brought to you by MyBookie. MyBookie.ag is the official online sports of the Inside Vegas podcast and the Sports Gaming Podcast Network. Whatever you want to bet on, pitchers, props, parlays, K-props, you name it, they have it all. Promo code SGP50 will get you a 50% deposit bonus up to $3,000. And again, support the podcast. Please go get yourself a nice Inside Vegas tea, college experience, the SGP Shield. You're already shopping on Amazon. Support the podcast as well. SportsGamblingPodcast.com slash Amazon is the link. Bookmark that one whenever you're going to shop on Amazon and support the podcast. (laughs) 